This is going to be a little bit different uh, because we've been over the past number of weeks doing a series called Relationship Renos. Um, and we've had a series of different speakers take a different part of that thematic over the last little while. And I was asked today if I would kind of expand my duties as uh, welcomer and greeter and uh, MC by uh, asking very, very difficult questions of our church leadership and uh, having an opportunity to do that. And if you haven't had a chance to meet our church leaders or you're new to the church, today's gonna to be a great opportunity because they're all gonna be up here um, for you to, to kind of see. So what we're doing today is we've got a series of questions that have been submitted over the past couple of weeks. And I also understand there's an opportunity that as things unfold today, if there's additional questions that we want added into the question basket that I have here beside me, then we'll have an opportunity to do that as well. Um, we'll have a little bit of fun with this, but I think it's also serious in terms of the fact that some of the themes we've been looking at recently are really meant to help us to build healthy relationships all around us. So I guess with that, I'll invite uh, Pastor Eric and Pastor Nate and Elizabeth and uh, Pastor Michael to come up. Can we give her the honorary pastor title today? Because you're like, Pastor, Pastor Elizabeth. Not on. All right. Well, Liz's mic, mic, Liz's mic is on, so. I was just going to say that. Uh, no. Um, no, it's on. Okay, we're on. Okay, there we go. Um, if you do want to submit a question, um, there's a phone number. Um, you can text your question to 613-404-4530, and we'll get that, and somebody's checking that number, and we'll deposit the questions into the, bo into the little bin here. So if you think of something, you're like, oh, I didn't get that in, I want to ask that. Just send it there, and we'll, uh, we'll try and get to it this morning. Um, can't promise we'll get to every question, but we'll do our best. And this is streaming live on the Internet, and we will be accepting questions from around the globe. Right, right. yes, yes. yes. No pressure. So I'm not sure if I'm supposed to... Uh... I don't think it matters. <laughs> you don't think it matters. Um, okay, so the first question that was uh, submitted, um, I think... Um, it would be very interesting to sort of get a uh, response to this from a couple of different perspectives, because I think that one of the things that may or may not be obvious to everyone here is that you guys each come from sort of a different demographic in, uh, in life. So um, what, what I thought we would do is start with this first question, which is, who should pay for dinner on a date? Okay, should we split? The check, should the dude, and it says dude, <laughs> should the dude pay, or should the woman, and it does say woman, pay? So uh, actually, maybe we'll start with you, uh, Pastor Nate. Why? <laughs> <laughs> is it because my marriage is the youngest? Like, I'm the closest to dating, or? Possibly. Okay. Dude. 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 Okay, so here's the complicated thing about this. I know what my parents taught me. I know what the internet and feminism say is real right now. And then I know what my wife and I did, which we were broke college students. So nobody, we didn't go out. Or if we did, it's because it was a gift card that somebody gave us, hint, hint. Um, that's great, ah, man. Here's honestly, that's such a... Mm. <laughs> I can go oh, while you think of No, I have multiple answers. I'm like, how do I say something and not offend someone else? This is complicated. You picked this one. You wrote this, didn't you? Dave? I'm, I'm not going to say who wrote okay, the question. Okay, cool. Uh, also, I feel like it's got to be a discussion. And, and that's, uh, that sounds weird, but uh, there used to be a culture of the men pay for everything, and now we have a strong going the other way where women are like, no, 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 I can pay for myself and I don't want to feel, like even holding the door I get yelled at sometimes for. I can hold my own door, <laughs> not my wife. She's very appreciative when I open car doors. Makes it easier for her. Um, but I think it's a shared thing. Like if I was dating again, which I'm not, but if I want to take my wife out on a date, I'll say, hey, I want to take, and I'll pay. 
other things, she'll be like, hey, do you want me to grab this? And like, we still go back and forth, like who pays for what? It's not always me paying for everything. I think that's probably the best frame of mind to do it. If you're on a date, who pays? Who started the date? <laughs> if she's the one that asks you on the date, maybe she should pay. If you invited the date, it's your idea. It's okay if you pay. And uh, I, that's probably my best way to put it. I, I'm not so much on the split idea where it's like, okay, we'll split this in half. Did you have the more expensive meal? Did I eat half of your meal? Where does the money go that way? But more in, did I initiate the date? Then it's my date, let me pay. Next week, it's date night again. It's your turn, you pay. So Pastor Eric, you've uh, been married for a number of years and you lead our young adult mm -hmm. sessions on Sunday nights. So if someone from that group was to come forward and ask you this question, what would be your response? I'd say that, um, I think Nate's right in that discussion, communication about it, but I think actually like in terms of who's paying for the bill, I, th I think that's, like that whole conversation is symbolic of an actual deeper question. And I think if you're dating somebody in particular, um, or, but even in a marriage relationship, in any, it, 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 it's a sign of something deeper, of, of expectations and understanding of whose role is what and what each person's supposed to do in a relationship. And so, you know, if you go on a date and, and you're the woman and the guy is insisting on paying because he sees that as his responsibility, but you're like, I'm the sort of person, you know, I, I, I want to be, I, I, I'm, I'm a competent, capable person. I can pay for my own meal. I don't need somebody to take care of me. Then that's just something that you need to take into consideration. Like, that's a... Dating is a way of figuring out what the rest of the relationship is going to be like. And you go, oh, like if this person has a completely different mindset about what roles are going to be in a marriage, that he's going to be, that he expects that I need him to be a provider and to take care of me, then, and that's not what I want, well then maybe that's a sign that that's not, this isn't quite the right relationship. Or that we have to, we'll have to make some changes before we get there. Um, in the same way, it's like, oh, like if, you know, if the guy is like, um, expects that the woman will pay her share, and that's not what she's looking for. She is looking for somebody who's going to you know, take care of her in a different way. Then, then that, that's another sign that, okay, maybe this relationship, we need to talk about this, and maybe this isn't, maybe we see the world too differently. So we've had uh, two dudes give us their view on this. I think, <laughs> I think we need a woman's perspective. What do you guys think? So, Liz? Yeah, um, I... <laughs> I feel like I come from an archaic place because I would want the guy to pay. But that's just me. Ladies, what do you say? Uh, but I've, I've mentioned this to my nieces who are 13 and 16 and they are very against this concept. Um, uh, my oldest niece especially, she's like, no, I, I do not need a rescuer. I do not, to be, I do not need to be cared for. Um, so I think, I, I like what you said, Nate, where it needs to be a discussion. Um, yeah, and what Eric was saying with expectations. In today's day and age where traditional roles are just no longer um, black and white anymore, uh, in the dating side of things, that's where you're discovering who and what um, you're offering to one another and deciding if you're okay with that um, because it can, you can easily offend and, uh, in any way. <laughs> like my nieces, they'd be offended if someone offered to pay for them or opened a door. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's actually a huge, a my huge issue. My mom applauded me if I didn't open doors for. <laughs> yeah, and I, I super appreciate it when um, someone opens a door for me. However, my nieces, they, it's a, it's a problem for them. <laughs> so, so, Pastor Michael, you've uh, obviously dated, married, <laughs> had children who've now dated and married. So, what's your perspective, having lived it and also seen it through your kids and what they've gone through? Well, I think my perspective would come. <clears throat> mostly from, uh, uh, well, in my own experience, I mean, I'm so old that, you know, my, my wife wasn't even allowed to uh, call me on the telephone. She wasn't able to initiate a conversation on the telephone. Her mother said that was inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> so there was no doubt about who paid and that kind of thing for us, but, um, <clears throat> which was fine. But I think as, as a pastor and one who deals with people who are going through marital difficulties sometimes, uh, this idea of unmet expectations is something that is, is, very, um, is very real. And so if you find that you don't match up in expectations on issues like this when you're dating, you're probably not gonna match up on expectations when you're married. So I think it's just, a, it, these things don't change. You know, these values don't necessarily change. Um, so, you know, um, 
it would be foolish for Liz to marry a guy that says, you know, um, no, you pay this time because that's not, that's going to disappoint her, right? So I think that's really what it's all about. Mm. I know in my family, Kim and I, we have a joint bank account, so we tease each other. Do you want to pay tonight, dear, or should I pay? So she's always very generous offering to pay. <laughs> okay, so moving on to something that's a little bit more serious, not that the last one wasn't serious, but uh, I took a quick scan through some of the questions that were in here, and actually, I will tell you, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see them, but there are some very serious uh, questions that the congregation has raised. So. Um, some of these things might require a little bit of reflection before you're going to be in a position not to put you on the spot. But um, So the next question that was submitted related to relationships, and as we talked about, it's about relationship renos. And I know Pastor Michael, uh, was it last week, talked about love it or list it. Um, and uh, this one has to do with relationships and restoring relationships. And the question is, are the relationships that we should not seek to restore? So, you go into a situation, you've perhaps made an investment, and you recognize that maybe it's gotten to a point where it's not worth investing into that, and how do you make that determination that you're uh, not gonna seek to restore this relationship? Well, I think, first of all, I think if we want to take it from a biblical perspective, I think the Bible acknowledges that there are relationships that can't be restored. You know, Paul talks about the, the, the case between a believing and unbelieving spouse, that sometimes that won't work out. Um, and, um, and we also see the, um, uh, Jesus saying that in the case of adultery, um, that would be reason to end a, that could be a reason to end a uh, relationship. Um, but then even still in the Old Testament, you see Moses making allowance for other reasons for people to end a relationship. I think the reality is, is, that, is that we live in, uh, in a world that is very broken, with broken people, and not everything works out like a fairy tale. And I think sometimes we have to, um, we have to deal with the, with the reality that's in front of us as opposed to what we hope um, or what we thought might happen. And I don't think it's um, realistic to think that every relationship is going to, is going to always work out the way we want it, whether it's a business relationship, a marriage relationship, uh, any kind of relationship that would have some kind of commitment to it. Um, the key is, I think, is that, uh, is that you, you work as hard as you can um, to make the relationship work. But especially if someone is, is, is victimized in a relationship or... Uh, there's all kinds of different scenarios, and I think the Bible points out that there's, there's, there needs to be a, a measure of wisdom in how we respond to the, the particular circumstances in our own relationships. I think I would add to that. So I, I, don't, I think there are times where you would just say, like, I don't feel that this relationship can be restored. I, don't, I think in the bigger concept, you, we do hope that every relationship can be restored. Um, but having a relationship restored, because I mean that's what that's what God does. I mean He pursues each one of us um, and hope and hopes for restoration of all relationships. He doesn't you know He doesn't give up on anybody and say you know that they're too far, uh, you know, and at this time anyways. And uh, but I would add to that that sometimes the first step to restoring a relationship is ending a relationship. Um, like I think of where Sarah and I are and our family are in the process of of going of possibly adopting. And so in the training, you hear a lot about, you know, you think of families, parents who, for whatever reason, are unable to properly care for their kids. And for the health of their kids, and for actually for the future hope of that relationship, they need to be separated. The, the child needs another home. They need another place where they can be. And that seems like the death of a relationship. But what they found is that what's actually healthiest is that if possible, as the parents get um, get help and get healthier, that then they will, um, that there's hope for restoration of relationship down the line, but they're never going to be their parents again in that, in that, like, I'm going to live with you all that there comes a point where that's done, but there is hope for a different sort of relationship in the future. And so sometimes a restored relationship means that we're not going to go, we, it often means we're not going to go back to what it was. We're never going to relate to each other in the same way as we did before, but and, and we may actually need to just break off this relationship for now. But we do keep hope that at some point in the future, maybe there will be 
even just a little step closer, um, you know, there might be just a little piece of a relationship. So I'd like to bring in another dimension to this because there's sort of a related question that came forward, uh, you know, to, to this whole issue, and it's at what point do you give up in a relationship? Especially if you've been praying through it, you've been very patient about it, you've been waiting for direction about that, and maybe there are certain relationships that we don't seek to restore, but at what point do you actually say, I'm going to give up on this? Um, I think this is a good time to, for me, as, as we're talking about it, um, what I recognize is that there are, there's a distinction between chosen relationships and family relationships, ones that you can't choose. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, and that, that, that presses on me because I've certainly um, had family relationships and experiences that uh, have led me to that, these questions. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just very um, stressful and difficult to say I'm, I, I'm at a point where I'm going to give up on a relationship. Um, because it's kind of impossible with a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, often. Um, so the way that I answer that is um, restoration is always the hope, but I think the keyword is healthy restoration, and that can look, so that means that the relationship, kind of like what you were saying, the relationship may need to end um, and look different. So a new relationship from that may need to arise and, and focusing in on that. With boundaries, um, yeah, exactly. So perhaps a relationship has been unhealthy and it's important to recognize that those unhealthy parts of the relationship really do need to end. Um, however, healthy boundaries and healthy parts of a relationship, they can be restored and then a relationship may look different. So your mother, daughter relationship may, there's hope for restoration to look different, um, but you have to choose that, and you have to be able to see that uh, parts can die and other parts can be restored, I think. I think there's a reality that some, some relationships um, can become toxic, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's what you have to look for, is this relationship um, turn poison. And, um, and, and we're not just talking, obviously, about marriage. We're talking about family relationships, relationships within the context maybe even of, of our friendships, church. Um, but sometimes uh, leaders, if they're, if they're toxic relationships, then I think you have to look at at least boundaries in your relationships, even if it's not um, you know, completely cutting it off. I think... Going back to the question is, you know, when do you, when is it time to give up on a relationship? I don't know if it's giving up on a relationship, but I certainly think that, building what Michael said, you know, if it's toxic or like if there's an element of abuse or something like that, <clears throat> if you're if you're being abused in a relationship, then you then that then you that needs to end, you know, that you, you that you, both you, physical, both physical, emotional, what whatever kind of abuse it is, that that needs to end, and that that is all. If if you're being abused in a relationship, that's a sign that that relationship needs to end at that time. For for Maybe not forever, but that there needs to be drastic changes to the way that relationship is working out. I think one of the hard things in the, the church or the Christian mentality is we never want to give up on someone. We always feel like we're supposed to be the bigger person. We're supposed to pour in. We're supposed to, God, give me the strength to endure it. So I'll be the, the sacrifice, the martyr. And uh, I, I really don't believe that Jesus calls us to that. And a lot of times... I know it can be hard, especially in leadership, it, we see it more often. Like, how do you tell a volunteer you're a bad volunteer or that you're being toxic? Like, you're going to sever a relationship when you do that, if you have those hard conversations. Um, but one of the things I've been reading lately is the reality is most of us pour most of our, we'll say, relationship energy into relationships we don't really care about. It's the, the outer line, the peripheral relationships that soak up so much of our time maintaining them because we feel we need to or people are drawing from us and we're like, but you're not, you're not our direct supporting cast, the people we really want to pour into, but I'm finding myself drawn because you're the one calling me out when really I'd rather spend time with a parent, a spouse, a, a sibling, or... Um, even a romantic interest, but you have someone else that's drawing your attention. And so sometimes we do need to sever relationships for our own health. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing for the Christian mind to comprehend 
because we want to be able to be kind to everyone. And there's a difference between kind and unhealthy to yourself. And so there is a need to protect. And so is there a time, is there a place to end a relationship? I think the consensus along here is, yeah, there is. Um, when exactly is it? That's going to be case by case. But if there's abuse, if there's mistreatment, if you're being used, like they're clearly, you are clearly more your, their friend than they are yours. Like you're just constantly giving out and they're taking but not being reciprocal, then um, that's a problem. So this theme is obviously something that is touching people because even more questions are coming in about this. And, and the, the one that I just saw that Alicia brought in was, and, and it's sort of related to what we've been talking about in the last two questions is, what do you do if your friend is in a bad relationship but they don't see it. They don't think they're in a bad relationship, but you see that, wait a second, this looks bad. How can you get them to see it from your perspective without offending your friend or drawing a gap in the relationship you have with that friend? I think honesty is obviously, you just have to be <clears throat> clear and you have to be honest with your friend, but then you don't, I don't think you can always expect that your friend is gonna see it your way. My experience with people that are in bad relationships, often they, um, uh, they don't want to see the truth, um, and they'll hold on to a bad relationship for a long, long time. Um, and um, so I think you, you need to be honest. Obviously, if you see something, you need to be honest. You could be wrong. Um, what you see maybe isn't what they see, but at the same time, you can't always expect that just because you've told them that they're obviously going to, uh, they're going to accept it. Because if if you see it so obviously and they don't see it so obviously, they're obviously got their head buried in the sand already. So they're not necessarily going to believe you. They may actually break the relationship off with you before they break off that other relationship because they're so devoted to it. I think one of the questions you have to ask yourself then too is you need to take a step back and go, what need in my friend is this toxic relationship meeting? What is the underlying, you know, what, what is it that, that, that about this relationship that is, that is making them happy despite all these things that I see, that, that, that sh the hurt that they're going through, the abuse they're taking, whatever it is, and what is that thing? And then, I, then as a friend, it's my responsibility then, as I, as I discover what that need that is being met, how can I lead them to other ways to have that need met outside of this relationship? And then, and then that maybe will give them permission at a later date to let go of that relationship because it's not... Um, because for a lot of people, you end up in a relationship because you're lonely or because the person makes you feel a way about yourself. You know, they, they give you um, a sense of, of self and identity um, and, and you're, that you're not getting anywhere else. And, but it comes with all this extra baggage. I think uh, the scripture Proverbs 27, 7 says what Eric is saying. Um, the wisdom of the writer of Proverbs says, the one who is full loathes honey from the comb. But to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. So, you know, when you put yourself in the person's situation, there's a, there is a hunger that's being met. And even though it's bitter, um, it, um, it tastes sweet to them because it's all they have. But if you're full, you don't even want, you don't even, you know, you can pass up dessert even. <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Yeah, and I just add to that, like, um, recognizing or identifying that unmet need in them, even just being honest about that, and not necessarily the, the, um, the surface layer of what's actually happening, but identifying that with your friend or whoever it is, and saying, this is the unmet need I see in you, and trying to fill it, as you can, um, but also just identifying that with the person to help them connect with it can be helpful. But I agree with Michael, often... Um, Often people in unhealthy relationships don't want to see it, and, um, and you're trying to be a good friend. So, and I've, I've experienced that. And from my perspective, the best thing that I've been able to do is, are two things. One is prayer. Um, I, maybe that's an obvious answer. Um, but praying into it and just uh, uh, leaving it to God to manage is important. But also, um, not just prayer for your friend or whoever that is, but also prayer for yourself. Because as you're wanting to do good by your friend, it can get frustrating when they're not listening and they're not responding. And so um, just praying an, an overload of grace on yourself for that person because this, your friend or whoever it is, they're going to need all the grace that they can get from you and an understanding that this is just where they're at and that 
you know, they're doing the best that they can and, and you can, um, yeah, just continue to offer grace even in the midst of wrong decisions, in your opinion. <laughs> you guys talked a little while ago about expectations in relationships and maybe part of it also when you're dealing with friends is about what their expectations are of you and you of them in that relationship as a friend. And I know for myself, I would like my friends to keep me from going off a cliff, but in any I just way. want to add one last thought to that. Don't expect um, immediacy. And what I mean by that is just because you've spoken to a friend and they seem to ignore what you've said, doesn't mean they haven't taken it to heart and they need to internalize it themselves. Um, a lot of times we want to quick fix everything. We, we, I know better, I saw the problem, now do what I tell you. And that's kind of our mentality when the reality is like, okay, you may actually know better, but until the person can internalize that, grasp it, or figure a way out, because any relationship, whether good, bad, or otherwise, when a relationship ends, there's a void. And they need to be prepared to fill that, to deal with that, take care of that. So if we just want to do an instant cutoff, we may cause more damage. They're like, okay, you may be right. I need to figure out how I'm getting myself out. So I want to go back to something that we talked about just a couple of minutes ago. And I think, Eric, you had mentioned perhaps that at some point in a relationship, you might feel that you know it's time that you're not going to work on it or restore it because of the way that person is treating you. So the question that came in was, how do you recover or respond when your partner or your spouse has done something terrible, something violent, something illegal, something dangerous? How do you recover yourself and how do you respond to that? I think the first thing I'd say on that is that um, I don't, it's difficult to make blanket statements on situations like that just because it's so, each situation is so specific um, as to how you would respond. Um, and so I would say that if anything has happened, I mean, the blanket statement would be that you need to seek outside help. Um, you know, whether somebody you can trust, um, a friend, a counselor, a pastor, somebody that you can talk to um, and just and let them know what's actually going on um, and then begin to get advice and, and build a plan that way. Uh, you know, whether you're being physically abused, emotionally abused, um, whether your partner is doing things that are illegal um, or, or your friend or, or whoever they are. Um, you know, I, I think that hiding the reality of the situation um, and trying to just resolve it yourself is very difficult um, and unhealthy. You need outside support um, in, in these dangerous situations. You need outside support. You need to talk to somebody, um, regard, you know, in pretty much any situation. Um, if you, again, in the scripture, with King David, the story of King David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and uh, then uh, arranged for the, the death of her husband so that he could um, marry Bathsheba to cover up the, the child that he conceived. Um, a really messy situation. <laughs> Relationship ran out of that. <laughs> um, you know, the Bible is not, um, does not cover over those things, those stories of even the heroes of the Bible. They had messy, messy lives. Um, so perfection isn't the thing. But David thought he could just cover that over. You know, he was king. He had the power to squelch all that information. But <clears throat> later on, a while later, God, through his mercy, um, informed the prophet Nathan about what, what, what happened. And Nathan confronted David, and that was David's salvation. So covering a person's sin when you know about it is not necessarily helping them. Um, if they have, if they have uh, done something, you know, illegal or something grossly wrong, um, immoral, it's not necessarily to their benefit that you cover that up. It may be their salvation that you expose it. But I think you need some wisdom and you need some help to make that decision. I'd just add that um, often when you're in a relationship that's, uh, that has violence or something of that extreme, um, it can be very demoralizing to the victim. And so, in my thoughts, the first step to recovery is a personal choice to believe that you don't have to be ashamed of that. Um, because often, like I said, it's demoralizing, and often when you're in a situation of violence or something very bad, there is a, um, a realm of shame or doubt that you're in the right, um, and, 
And yeah, it comes to a very personal decision, choice, to either believe the identity um, that Christ says you are or you know what the world or person around you is saying you are. So making that choice and believing that you are, um, that you have nothing to be ashamed of usually allows you to then go and make the, the, the other step that you guys are talking about, about not covering it, going and seeking outside help um, and things like that. Yeah, so I, I think as a victim, you have to realize, if you're a victim of any sort of abuse or anything like that, it's not your fault. I think, you know, I, I, don't, I think we can say that clearly enough, is it's not your fault. Um, and that telling somebody else does not mean that you're implicating yourself. The other thing I would say is that, um, how do you deal with it? I think it cha- I always think it changes the situation if there's children involved, um, that the safety and security of your children is paramount. Um, and that you may need to make some really difficult decisions for yourself just for the safety and security of your kids. One more thing. I think also if you are the person that has done something horribly wrong, it's to your benefit as well if you confess that to someone. You will, you will not do well. David did not do well as long as he kept that hidden. But if you come out of the, if you come out of the dark and into the light by confessing to someone and seeking help or making things right, you will actually do much better and you will, you will thrive. It's not the end of you, it's the beginning of a new start. So this is a bit of a different format for us because we just finished this series, which is why we have kind of this panel and question and answer today. And it's interesting because since we started about 20 minutes or so ago, I've had at least 10, if not a dozen more questions come in. So obviously some of the things that you guys are saying are resonating and there's a need in the congregation. And I just want to say that I know that, you know, our time at some point is going to come to an end, but you guys are available. You guys are available during the week. People can continue this conversation with you at any point, right? And I know that... um, Even before we started formally coming to this church, we took part in the VBS that was going on. And one of the things that drew us into this church was the fact that this church fills the demographics that we see out there. We've got so many young kids programs and young adult programs and kids and adults can take part in so much. And I can see by the questions here that there's a bunch of people that have some questions about the beginnings of relationships and things like that. So I want to kind of turn to some of that if we could for a little bit, okay? So we're switching from the end of relationships to the beginning yeah, of relationships. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so some of these things are interrelated, so I might kind of break them apart just because I want to be able to cover everything that everybody's asking. But um, one of the themes that's come forward here is it's about starting out in dating. And if you're just starting out dating, how important is it that you and the other person share the same faith? Well, to me, um, it goes back to expectations. Um, uh, you know, what are you looking for in a, um, in a, a partner, for a lifelong partner? Um, to me, faith would be a central thing. Um, and if you, if you, um, if you want to be happy with someone for the rest of your life, it's probably best that you look for someone that shares your faith. And the purpose of dating to me is to kind of weed out, you know, to kind of test drive those compatibility things and those expectations. And to me, that would be one thing that, uh, that would be a clear marker that this probably is going to be a difficult relationship. You know, the scripture talks about it too. It says, don't my King James memorization, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? Don't, don't bind yourself together with an unbeliever um, is, is not necessarily a law, but it's wisdom because you get stuck with someone that doesn't agree with you on faith issues. It has implications uh, when it comes to raising children and all of those kind of things. You're, you're setting yourself, it's not to say your relationship is going to be impossible, it's just going to be a lot harder. So I think that's what you have to look at. Two words were spoken over me when I was younger. Missionary dating. And it never worked. Missionary dating? You don't know that one. Oh, that's where you find the most beautiful girl that doesn't believe in Jesus. So you start dating her in hopes that she will love Jesus. And and me. And you take her to heaven's gates and hell's flames and she becomes really guilted out and loves Jesus. Shame her until Then you break up because you didn't well, you break up. That happens. She stays friends with your sisters, 
but stops loving Jesus, so she's still in your life. Theoretical Theoretically story. Speaking. <laughs> Maybe you should have picked up the check. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, missionary dating in that, uh, I mean, my story goes from me being raised in the church to me saying, forget church, I'm doing my own thing. So I did date outside of the church, which is good because I had a small church pool and all the friends dated each other. So that's why my wife, I love you, you were not from my friend pool growing up in church. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Tina. But, but the truth is, a lot of times we do that where we're, we... Relationships really start off from attraction. If, if we're honest, we're like, you're pretty, I want to hang out with you. It's very rare we go, oh, those are some really good thoughts, and you look like you're going to have a good career. We should be friends. No, we go, pretty, I like it. Um, and so we, teenagers especially, I'm looking over here, somehow you all congregate here. <laughs> Becky. Yeah. You see pretty and you're like, hey. But the unfortunate thing is we do need to have that conversation is where is your heart? Uh, does it belong to Jesus? Does it follow him in any way? Um, because I've seen relationships that grow that way and then eventually you start having questions of, well, why are we paying money into the church? I don't believe in God. And tithing now becomes a, a problem in your relationship. Um, it, it becomes in an event where it's like, okay, well, let's hang out on Friday night. No, I want to be a youth leader. Why would you do that? Let's go to the movies. Let's go to a party. Well, no, I, I have a, a desire to be a part of the church. Or Sunday morning, I can't stay up super late Saturday night because I want to go to church. Time. Why would you? Like, you start having those complications in your relationship early <clears throat> on and it's not to say that they cannot come to love God and it's not and I mean scripture clearly says that wives pray somehow it's always wives pray for your husbands that they will come to faith it's very rare you see husbands pray for your wives there's a story behind that is there yeah. please tell me all right so I took this in a, a course I had the a uh, couple weeks ago but um, in the early church so when the Bible was being written um, women did come to faith more quickly embrace the Christian faith more quickly than men did um, and Part of that was because the church treated women um, with more value and respect, and also because they took care of widows and, and the like. And so widows didn't need, feel the need to have to go remarry immediately because they were being financially taken care of by the church, which is a beautiful thing. And so it's this beautiful um, picture of equality and caring for others. But what it did mean was that proportionally in the church, there was a huge number, a larger number of women than there were men, which was actually at odds with the broader culture because there was much more men in Roman culture than there were women. And so there was actually a preponderance of single women in the early church. And they actually would, um, they would actually missionary marry. Um, and so they, they would do that. They would marry because they, they wanted to have, um, they wanted to have families and have a spouse. And so they would marry outside of the church circles because all the available men in the church were already taken. The, the dating pool was very small. Um, and so, and so they would do this. And so that's why actually the, there are a lot, often it is addressed to women because that was one of the primary problems in the churches was that they did have a lot of women who were marrying men who weren't Christians at the time. Um, but actually, and then, not to undercut anything you said, but in, uh, at, at the time, part of the reason that Christianity grew so quickly in the first couple cent, um, couple hundred years was that uh, was missionary marrying, and so they added people in, and then they would have kids, and then they would do it that way. So I'm not I'm not promoting as a strategy. I'm just saying it's happened before, and um, and 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 I guess it worked a little bit. I was just going to add, um, and this is something I had to learn through my long dating years. There were so many years there. Um, <laughs> is that uh, I really appreciated what, what Pastor Michael here was saying, that you go in and you, and you, and about your expectations. Um, I often went into relationships, new relationships with no expectations, or, or my expectation was that I was going to have to compromise. Um, and so that was always a recipe for failure in relationship. I think being strong in, in, in your, um, who, just understanding who you are and your faith, I think, is an important part of who you are. Um, and owning that and not compromising at the beginning of relationships, because I was always taught that compromise is part of marriage and, and uh, relationships, but, uh, and it is. But I think when you're starting new relationships, it's less about compromise and more about showing who you really are 
as you are and not, you know, faking it till you make it kind of thing. Um, and that's a lesson I had to learn. Mo my best relationships were the ones that I didn't compromise, that I showed who I was, that I was strong in that with my faith. And, and, and yes, like-minded like people are going to be more compatible. And I think, yeah, at the beginning of the relationship is when you have to champion yourself the best. Um, because compromise is definitely coming down the road if you get to marriage. <laughs> so we talked about uh, starting out in a relationship, but what if you're in a long-term relationship and one person's a Christian and the other is not? Is that grounds for ending the relationship or can you actually make it work? I think, well, that's addressed biblically. Paul addresses that and says that if, you know, if you're a Christian and your spouse isn't a Christian, that's not a reason to end the relationship. He said, you know, you, you, you do what you do and you make that work. Um, you know, and you pray for your spouse and, and you try and lead them that. Um, but you also don't try and, like, hound them into changing either. Um, you know, you have to let your life um, speak through the way that you live and through, you know, maybe you kill them with kindness. Um, you know, and that's what leads them. But if you're like, you know, you have to believe, you have to come to church. You, um, I don't think that's helpful either, but I don't think you just end the relationship um, based on that. I, I think a word to the wise is that you can't change. If, you, if you're not married and you're thinking about getting married, you probably, if there's something you don't like or you don't find compatible or you don't agree with in your in your future partner, you're probably, if you don't, if it doesn't change before marriage, it probably won't change after marriage. You can't, you don't have the power to change and if you, another person. Yeah. And if that person um, is, uh, is, is the way they are, um, you can expect they're gonna stay that way or you should expect that they're gonna stay that way. You, you can't change them. So a word to the wise would just simply be like find someone, take dating seriously. Um, take it really seriously. Like, I think a lot of people today just date for fun. <laughs> and, you know, can I have a good time? Does this guy, you know, does, do I have a good time with this guy? You know, like, and that's not really, you don't really take this, the relationship serious because when you get down to it, in the, in the end, you're, and you decide to stay with this person or to marry this person, you're, you're stuck with them the way they are. They probably won't change um, dramatically. I Huge truth in that, and um, I think a lot of times we get stuck in relationships and we feel like I've invested so much, or even you get to the engage process and you're like, I'm not sure, maybe they'll change, or I guess this is my, that's the common saying now, this is my life now, I'm just going to resign to what it is. Um, but in the most fortunate ways, I was engaged previously and that relationship ended, and um, it's because someone spoke over us. They're like, if you're not sure, it's better to end the engagement than to get married and try and make it work. And that was a harsh truth, and it hurt, and it, it was horrible. Uh, I mean, I'm blessed in the end. I have a wife that does follow the same values and beliefs and everything I have. And, yeah, we still have struggles because every marriage argues and fights, and we're different people. I like square things, she likes round things. There's always complications and dishes. Um, but the reality is, is the, the woman I was engaged to before, if she had continued our marriage on, there could have been greater issues. And, and so one day there was the question, is like, should we not get married? And so it became a no, maybe this isn't where we need to be. And it hurt, but it's a better thing to say and let, end it and be cons because you know what you believe versus try and save it, and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm not sure this actually has to do with the question, but I think um, the other thing I'd add to that then, too, is that you can't expect that getting married to a person is going to change them, or that, um, but you also can't expect that marriage is going to change you, yeah. necessarily. You know, that, like, that marriage will solve your problems. I'm lonely, and da-da-da, and so I'm, I'm going to compromise whatever it is I need to compromise in order to, get into, you know, in order to get married, and then I'll be happy when I get married. Marriage is not a sort of magical formula for happiness. Marriage, if you do it well, is a good way to grow you and to make you into a better person and to, um, to connect your life with another person. 
Um, but it doesn't just magically do that, and it doesn't magically make you happy. And so I think Liz just gave a lot of really great wisdom when she said, in the dating process, be 100% yourself, because that's who you're going to be in the marriage, and you invite the other person to be 100% themselves, and if you can make that work, then you can make it work in marriage. And if that means that um, you're in a marriage and the other person doesn't believe what you believe, um, and there's, there's that, and you're already in a relationship, but you're able to make that work, that's really great. I mean, I don't, I don't think that you stop from praying for them that they come to faith and they come to know Jesus, but, but you, you, you can make that work. It's not, it's not a deal breaker. It's just, it creates extra complications. Um, and so I think if, the, we're obviously talking about multiple situations here. I mean, one would be that you knew that going into a marriage relationship. The other situation would be that you got into a marriage relationship, you had a change of heart, and then what do you do with this other person? But in that situation, then it's a little bit unfair of you to put this sort of expectation on them that because you've made a huge decision as a person that they're immediately going to, you know, when Nate was saying, you know, sometimes you got to give people a lot of time to process. Maybe it's years, maybe it's decades. They got to they gotta be like, okay, like, what does this change mean? And, uh, and so if you've come to faith and your spouse hasn't, then you have to be gracious towards them because you're, the you're the one who changed the deal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you have to allow them time to, to understand the new terms of the relationship. We maybe have touched on some of this, but I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add to it. Um, each one of you has gone through dating process, whatever that was for you, and you're each married now. Um, how are dating relationships different than marriage? So much more <laughs> Oh, I, I, I thought you were just jumping out of that. This is like, let me tell you all the way. <laughs> it was like this, and now it's... Um. Honestly, for me, I can't say what the difference is because I'm married so young, and I've been married so long <laughs> that, uh, that life, is, um, life is as it is, and I can't remember anything else. Or, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, so romantic. <laughs> No life before hope. No, that's right. Um, but I have, again, in my experience in helping others with their, their, um, their own marriage issues, um, it often is a, is a shock, especially for people that marry uh, at an older age, <laughs> um, because, because you've lived single and on your own for so long, and you have developed certain lifestyle habits that all of a sudden um, uh, it now because it like perfect example is you know a guy in his late 20s decides to get married and uh, he loves you know his ritual is you know every Sunday afternoon watching football games all afternoon um, and then he gets married and his wife says what no no we don't do that on Sunday afternoon that's a waste of a Sunday afternoon we're gonna go out hiking or whatever you know like then you get this conflict over things that you just were in your in your life so I think that's where the, the changes come uh, especially if you have an ingrained pattern of behaviors or things that you like to do yeah I think for oh this is a louder mic uh, yeah I was married later so and it's been pretty recent for me so I still remember the dating years <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it's funny because I've been talking about this uh, a little bit with, with Jer, my husband, and um, the differences are different freedoms that I've had to uh, give up. So in dating, I still had so many freedoms to just be me and do what I wanted to do. Um, if I wanted to go on a missions trip, I could go. If I wanted to change my career, I could just change it because I decided to. Um, in marriage, um, even in a dating relationship, if I didn't want to pay, like if I wanted to pay for the date, I'd pay for the date, <laughs> going back to that. But, um, and I did, we did split often. Anyway, um, just to put that out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, but in marriage, I've tra like I've had, I have other freedoms in my marriage now, um, in a marriage now, but I have, I've had to grieve a little bit of the sense that I don't get to choose just for me now. Um, if I want to go on a missions trip, that's not... I have to make that decision with someone else now. Uh, if I want to change careers and, and our income, I, I have to have that conversation with someone else and not get permission necessarily, but have that discussion and, and make sure that it's our plan and not just my plan. 
Um, that's probably the difference between the two. I think for me, the biggest difference I discovered was that nobody went home at the end of the day. And so whatever it is that was going down during the day, there was nowhere to go to sort of like decompress and just sort of like get away from that. Like whatever sort of like vibe you created from like nine till five or whatever, I mean, that carries all. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like there's that saying, you know, you don't go to bed angry, right? But like it can carry over into the morning and the next day and all of a sudden, you know, and if you're not careful, it starts snowballing into weeks and months. And you know, that's when it gets really scary. Um, but I think that's one thing. So that was a big difference for us. And it took us a while to figure out exactly how to navigate that. And we don't have it all figured out. But one thing that we really did commit to doing was that we would commit to, as, as often as we can, is we go to bed at the same time. Doesn't matter what's going on that night. Like, you know, we may have had a fight or whatever, or just not be in the mood to hang out with each other. But somebody's going to bed. Well, okay, it's bedtime. We're both going to go. One person doesn't stay up till you know, all hours on their own. And that you do go to bed in the same bed. And it's just like, you know what, everything else, we may not like each other right now, but it's just sort of a symbolic sort of thing that we are committed and this is where we are. And that this relationship, every, it may have been a mess today, but this is our bed and this is where we sleep because we're married and I believe in this marriage and I'm committed to it. And, um, and so then you may not wake up super stoked at the person the next morning, but at least you woke up and the other person was there. And I think, you know, and that's, that's been a big help for us. But yeah, but the not, like, figuring out that you have to process all of everything that happens with another person. You don't just sort of get to, like, be like, okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll think that over tonight and uh, we'll get back to that another time. There's no escape. It's interesting. <laughs> that's the marriage slogan. There's no escape. <laughs> so it's interesting that Paul says... He gives a lot of advice on relationships in, in 1 Corinthians, so you can look there, and uh, I think it's chapter 5, 6, 7, um, and uh, one of the things he says, and listening to this and listening to your questions, you may understand why he says it. He says it might be better to remain single. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm conscious of the time, and I have five questions that are left, and I don't want to leave anything hanging for people who've asked stuff. So what I thought I would do is I would put out a question, and then you guys can choose whether you want something to say about this particular question. So not, not necessarily that everybody has to say something, but if you, feel comp if you feel that you want to, then that's no problem. Speed round. Yeah, a little okay. bit of a speed networking. So um, now you might choose to, um, to ch uh, answer this question because you've had specific personal um, experience with this. Um, but the first question is, do long distance relationships work? <laughs> okay, Liz. Mine did. My husband's at the back. He's uh, originally oh, from Hamilton. Couple. So, <laughs> yes, I think long-distance relationships can work, but I will say that long-distance relationships are a lot harder. Um, okay. uh, Jer and I had to very intentionally make sure that we didn't just talk on the phone or text, like we did, talk on the phone and text every day, but that just wasn't enough to maintain a real relationship <laughs> uh, to, you know, where the rubber hits the road and you get, you know, there was no fighting on text and phone. It was all love and, you know. <laughs> so we were very intentional in making sure that we uh, were with one another in real life, you know, together, whether I was in Hamilton or, I, or he was here in Ottawa. And it was every, you know, we would meet every two weeks and really, you know, Often, it's funny, because I was in my 30s when I met Jer, and I was very serious about marriage. So I think on, like, our second date, I brought a book called, like, The 12 Questions to Ask Before You Get Married. <laughs> and that's literally what we would do when we were in person, is we'd work through this book and ask these questions. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that with the beginning of a relationship, but I was very intentional. Um, but it's a lot of hard work long distance, I would say. Uh, just quickly, it worked for Hope and I. We were in high school, and um, and we lived apart for one whole school term. And uh, she lived in Peterborough. I lived in Brockville. We wrote, this is it, we wrote letters every day. A stamp cost 10 cents. <laughs> and we have handwritten letters, and they're still in our basement somewhere. I bet there was no fights in these letters, though. <laughs> oh, <no. Next> 
So we've been talking a lot about uh, relationships that we have with each other, either dating or marriage, but this, these next couple of questions are about relationships that we have with other people that are peripheral to that core, uh, well, not that core, but that, that primary thing. So um, this one is about um, my boyfriend's mother is very controlling and manipulative. What advice can I give him without being disrespectful towards her? If anybody knows, let us know. That'd be really <laughs> The mother-in-law question is always the like, well, I don't know. Like, how do you deal with the mother-in-law? Mike, you make me. <laughs> no, actually what you do is you look at the dynamic of that relationship and ask yourself, um, can you live with that continuing on past because uh, unless a guy is willing to divorce from his mother, um, which he probably should do, um, that's not going away. So that, again, that's one of those kind of test cases that you throw out there and say, because you don't just marry the person, you marry into their family as well. And uh, so what you, what, you, what you buy is what you get. Okay. If you, if you can't change your spouse, you can't change your mother-in-law. I mean, that's just... How do you show or tell a child that they are loved when one of their biological parents has never been present? I'll take that one because I don't know my dad. Um, this mic really is quiet. I like hearing myself. Um, <clears throat> yeah, don't you know it. How do you, can you read that one more time? How do you show or tell a child that they are loved when one of their biological parents has never been present? Okay, you do. <laughs> I mean, just that, like, I will always have daddy issues. That's never going away. Um, when I look in the concept of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I struggle with the Father concept. And I know that is a harsh marker of... Um, we'll say the millennial generation, is that fathers aren't there, or the fathers they know aren't their biological ones, and so it does cause a daddy issue, and then that causes issue when you, we sing songs like Good, Good Father, or any song about God the Father, you have a bit of a, a, a twitch, a disconnect, um, but that doesn't mean the child doesn't know they're loved, and that they can't be shown love. So my stepdad, who whenever you hear me refer to dad, I'm referring to my stepdad. He's been my dad since I was, he adopted me when I was six um, and adopted in like, I, I took on his last name, but I still know my biological mother. Um, but I, I call him dad. And the older I get, the more I realize he's more of a bigger brother, um, a, a great friend, uh, but he isn't that father. And, and so I miss that. I, I wonder some days, who is my dad? I, knew, I know where he is if I want to find him, but my mom never stopped showing me love. My mother never stopped telling me I was loved. My stepdad never stopped telling me I was loved and being the best dad that he could be. And so for any child that is missing a biological parent in their life, how do you show, how do you tell? You just do. You don't need to do it something different. You don't need to try and make up and compensate for that love because that love of the missing parent is its own entity and it'll always be there. But you pour into them with everything you've got and care for them. Yeah, the thing I'd say to that is for, so from somebody who's looking at adopting, like you realize that um, you can love the child or that person, you can love them and you can be their parent, and that relationship can be fantastic, and you can, you can just do the loving thing, and you just have to be okay with the fact that you will never replace what's missing, and that, you, that there's nothing you can do that's gonna fix that for them. Um, that's something that they have to process on their own. That's something that they're, you know, that, as Nate said, you know, that you just sort of carry with you. Um, you provide them with all sorts of love, and you love them, and let them know that they're loved in those relationships, and they're gonna just have to deal with the fact that they 
I don't, I don't mean just deal with, but like, but that's just, you can't as a parent or a person in their life take on the responsibility of I have to make up for this absence because you can't. You, you, you have to have you a loving relationship that you have and then that's all you can do. Yeah, I think this just highlights your, as a parent, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, your reliance on God um, and, and his part in your child's life. He is the only one who's going to uh, fill that gap or hole. And um, I know that's maybe an easy answer or not a tangible answer, but um, it's, that's ultimately what it is. God is the only one who's going to fill that void um, of love. Yeah. Great. So with that, I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Michael, and I want to thank the panel for uh, their insights today. Thanks, Jeff, for helping us out. And uh, you can tell that we all love to talk. Um, and uh, as uh, Jeff said, I have to go back up. Uh, don't hesitate to contact us if you have a specific question. We'd love to help you uh, in any way that we can. Uh, and always refer you on if uh, there's someone, if there's something we can't help you with. So I want to do one more thing before uh, uh, Jeff wraps up the service. And, um, and this we did last year around Valentine's Day as well. Um, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to read a scripture first. We're going to sing a song. And then um, at, uh, the, there's some tables set around with some little cards. Excuse me. Um, and we want to take a, a chance to um, maybe pick up a card and write a note uh, to someone who's in prison that 